Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Uh, it's, a, it's an hour earlier than you're used to, but that's okay. You made it. And uh, God gets all the glory for being here. Um, what I want to do is I want to continue to remember and continue to pray for uh, Ukraine and, um, and Russia. And, and really, you know, I think we live in a, we live in a world where our media, uh, um, you know, everything that the images that we see, you know, are geared towards certain allies or certain alliances that we have in the West, you know. And so as we are all humbled and concerned for Ukraine, we also recognize that, you know, this is not new in our world, no. right? Th these types of wars and civil wars are happening all over, you know. And so... Um, yes, we're going to pray for Ukraine, but all, we're going to recognize that the, the instability of, our, of, of the nations um, because of sin and because of idolatry. Um, and so as we pray for this Ukraine and this Russian situation, we're also, you know, I don't want to be insensitive to really the instabilities of this world that's really created by sin, you know. And so, um, so with that said, <clears throat> can we just take a moment? Um, I know we prayed a couple of weeks ago. We're very, in some ways, removed from it. And so, you know, we kind of are onlookers, spectators. Um, uh, but um, I, I, wanna, I just want to pray, and then, um, and then we can get started. So, God, we come before you today in some ways feeling helpless. And in many ways, we are helpless. There's not much we can do. Um, only you can change hearts and minds of world leaders only you can, only your spirit can even be in the battlefields um, where there's pain and loss and suffering and death. And only you in, can get glory somehow in man's devastation. Lord, I lift up your church in Ukraine. And I lift up the church of Jesus Christ, the believing church of Jesus Christ in Russia. Lord, I pray uh, that through your church, that as there is physical warfare, there is spiritual battles, there are unseen wars, demonic spirits and uh, uh, principalities uh, that are at war. And so, Lord, we just pray that your people and your church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, would come alongside of the suffering and would bring, uh, would be salt and light Lord, I, I've just seen so many videos and photos of Christians gathering in Ukraine on Sunday mornings to worship. And so, Lord, we lift them up and we lift up um, the presidents. We lift up um, the prime ministers. We lift up all of the world leaders that are involved in this, Lord. And we just pray that somehow um, you would use this. We're confident in knowing that you move kingdoms empires and emperors for your for your good 
And so uh, I just I just ask that um, you would bring a peaceful resolution and that ultimately your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for praying with me. I hope it wouldn't just be a sentiment, but I hope that you would continue to pray. Um, we are entering into the third week of a series that we have entitled Substitute Saviors. And today, uh, we're moving on, in fact, from last week's sermon on people-pleasing. If you were here last week, you probably walked out of here thinking, man, I am a textbook people-pleaser. Um, I know that I am. Uh, today, we are moving on from people-pleasing to pleasure-seeking, to pleasure-seeking. Now, before I begin, I want to remind you of our strategy of warfare against idolatry. Uh, if you're going to come here today and be a part of this series, you're going to be bombarded with the reality of idols, and you're going to need a necessary strategy of war yeah. so that we, you can see victory in the name of Jesus over these substitute saviors in your lives, in our lives. And so I just want to remind you of the simple strategy, the framework that we have been taking in order to deal and smash our idols. Number one, we have asked you to identify idols everywhere. I've told you this every week. I want you to be messed up. I want you to leave this place and realize that you are surrounded in an economy of idolatry. Whether you scroll through your social media feeds, whether you drive on the freeway, enter into the mall, watch Netflix, whatever you do, wherever you go, the relationships that you're in, everything because of a heart that is full of sin can become a substitute savior. And so I want to wreck you. I want you to not be able to see life the same and realize that idols are everywhere. And then I want you to discern idols in here. I want you to see the objects of our worship. As you can tell, we have, pro we have put up here, we've propped before you several different objects that can become our gods. But these objects are really uh, inanimate. They can't move. They can't speak. They can't walk. They can't talk. They really don't have power. Although they can become idols, the power that they get is from the human heart that places these on their throne are you with me yeah. and so not only are we to identify the idols without but then we are to discern what is it inside of you that is pursuing craving desiring submitting to these gods yeah. and then finally we are going to apply the gospel take the bomb of the gospel and apply it to your life and see the beauty and glory of Christ, our true Savior, and replace these false substitute saviors with him on the throne. Amen? Amen? And so that's been our framework of warfare. Identify the idols without, discern the idols within, and then apply the gospel and smash that idol. Amen? In Greek philosophy, there is a term called hedonism. Are you familiar with the term? Now, it's an ethical theory that frames the maximizing of pleasure 
and the minimizing of pain as our highest good and greatest aim in this life. I'm going to say that again. Hedonism is a philosophical, it's an ethical term that highlights or describes the reality that our highest goal in life, our, our greatest aim in life should be to do two things, maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Now, you may not know the term hedonism, but there's no denying that we live in a hedonistic world. A world that is deeply committed to pleasure seeking. A world that is deeply committed to seeking pleasure and comfort, safety, security, and prosperity. Can I get an amen? Like we live in a hedonistic world that wants to maximize what makes me feel good, maximize pleasure, avoid pain. And so... Pleasure, comfort, safety, security, and prosperity are those things in which we pursue above all else. Now, I want you to know philosophy turns into religion really easy. You know, if you think about the ancient practices of the Romans and the Greeks, they had gods and goddesses, and they would build up temples to these god and goddesses where they would come to worship at these temples and some of these gods and goddesses of hedonism would be worshiped through drunkenness and orgies and temple prostitution and so hedonism became a philosophy became a religion now as us 21st 22nd 21st century 2022 Christians, we look back and lift our noses up and say, we don't do that anymore. But I, I beg to differ. I think we see the temples to our hedonism everywhere, don't we? In fact, it's unfortunate, but we even see it in Sunday mornings in some so-called evangelical churches that teach a prosperity gospel. They may not be having drunken orgies, but they are constantly speaking and teaching you how to pursue health wealth and happiness as if Jesus is an accessory to your life, not the Lord of your life. Are you with me? There are many of us even in here today that would even amen and feel good to go to a message. We're just, I have a heart for the church that doesn't even know how to discern when they're sitting under a sermon that is feeding their hedonistic values. We call these Christian churches, but really they're just hedonistic temples. So philosophy quickly turns to spirituality as we turn our hedonism into idolatry and we worship at the pursuit of happiness. And though as followers of Jesus, we are not of this world, amen? Y'all know that? Okay. We are not of this world, but we are what? in this world and because we are in this world we're constantly being bombarded with hedonistic ideas and realities and we are still in our flesh and so we wrestle with the idolatry of pleasure so for today if you're taking notes i want to divide this message into two sections two sections section one the idolatry of pleasure and section two, the surpassing worth of Christ. 
the idolatry of pleasure and the surpassing worth of Christ. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I will wait, so don't feel like you have to rush. Open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's right after the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we are going to read verses 1 through 11. And if you have your Bible apps, you can go there as well. Of course, we will have it for you on the screen. But Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. How is it? Is it a little dark in here to read? Should we turn the lights up just a little bit? Yes, if we can get these lights turned up, please, that would be great. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Many of you are like, well, I'd like to go there, but I can't see. And so um, I apologize for that and uh, not our host's fault. Um, some of you may be like, why do you keep it so dark in here? Uh, well, nobody wants to see your face. Just kidding. Um, that's a joke. We just want you to be able to kind of cry worship. You know what I mean? That ugly face worship and not feel bad about it. So, um, and so now we'll turn these lights on for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. How y'all doing? Are you there? Can you see? Amen. The light of Jesus is shining bright. I want to give you just a little uh, brief background with Ecclesiastes. I don't think I've ever preached from this uh, book since uh, the past five years that we've been a church. And so just a little bit of a background for you. Ecclesiastes is a part of what's called uh, uh, the wisdom literature of Scripture. Okay, There's different genres uh, uh, in the Scriptures. And so Ecclesiastes lands in the genre of wisdom literature. It joins in with other books and in fact, there are three books. They're the book of Proverbs, the book of Job, and the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is written by the wisest man on the face of the earth, Solomon. Um, now, there's some contention with that, but for the most part, Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon. And here's what King Solomon's going to do. King Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, looks like we're having trouble over there with the lights, in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon lays out for us all the ways that we look to find meaning in this life apart from God. Are you with me? Ecclesiastes, Solomon lays out all the ways that we look to find meaning in this life apart from God. And so in chapter one, Solomon will consider intellectualism, the intellect. And then here in chapter two, we, where we are about to go, he'll move on from intellectualism and he'll experiment with hedonism. Are you with me? Yet in both cases, Solomon's conclusion will be the same. Are you ready for his conclusion? It'll be this. Neither the accumulation of human wisdom and education nor the pursuit of comfort and pleasure will satisfy the human heart. Let me say that again. Solomon will conclude neither the accumulation of human wisdom and education doesn't matter how many years you go to school, how many degrees you get behind the name, whether you have a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a, a doctorate. Uh, what he will conclude is that uh, human wisdom nor human comfort and pleasure will satisfy the human heart. That will be his conclusion. Vanity, vanity, meaningless, worthless, nothing. And so, with that being said, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Are you ready? Yes. Amen. 
Scripture reads like this. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered from myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces i got singers yeah both men and women and many concubines the delights of the sons of man so i became great and surpassed all who were before me in jerusalem also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired i did not keep from them I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Amen. Nobody, can I just say this? There was nobody better to discuss the pursuit of pleasure than Solomon. Nobody better. You see, most of us can barely afford just a little bit of pleasure. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, man, the idolatry of pleasure is tough. I would like to be an idolatry of pleasure, but I can't afford it. Right? Most of us can only barely afford a little bit of pleasure, but Solomon had the means to live it up. By today's standards, Solomon was a billionaire. He was the Bruce Wayne of the Old Testament. And he didn't just have the means, y'all. He, 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 as king of Israel, he had the power. Y'all hear that? I mean, even if you had the means to do what you wanted, you don't have the, the power. He, he didn't just have the means. He, he had the power to satisfy every urge. Every desire to its fullest extent. This is why we get an extensive list of Solomon's pleasures. Make no mistake about it. He left no rock unturned. He's been there. He's done that. And he's got the t-shirt. He made the t-shirt. Now here's what I want to do. I want to highlight Solomon's escapades. And here's, this is going to be really key. Are you ready? We're going to go through the text and we're going to do our best to highlight Solomon's pursuits of pleasure. And here's what I want you to imagine with each pursuit. Are you ready? Y'all with me? A little quiet today, nine. Listen, hear, hear, hear me out. With every pursuit of pleasure, I want you to imagine 
pleasure is a pump. And every time pleasure is pursued, the pump is applied. And the inflation of self becomes larger. Y'all see that? Yeah. Yeah. Let me move this guy out the way. So I'm about to kick him out the way. Every pleasure pursued is a pump of inflation to self. Important you frame this. Got it? All right, number one. We're told in the text that he pursued laughter. Did you guys kind of note that? And then later on, he, he acquired for himself singers. I mean, I mean, it's not a party unless there's good music and people are laughing. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he, he pursued laughter. He acquired singers. And so I want to label this as the pleasures of entertainment. Are, are we a culture consumed by entertainment? Are you consumed by entertainment? We're addicted to our devices. I know I am. Right? Endless scrolling. Put it down. And then you're controlled by the push notification, which is designed to keep you coming back. Some of you are like, no. Well, that's because you just don't know how to work technology. My dad always says, man, I want a dumb phone, right? We're glued to television screens. Man, we're quiet in here, but it's okay. It's nine. Y'all are quiet anyway, nine, so don't worry. Anticipating season premieres. Yeah? And then saving season finales. We're immersed in online gaming, escaping reality until early the next morning. (laughs) That one will get the 11 a.m. service. From the theater to the arena. Are you with me? From the theater to the arena. From the concert to the club. From Little League games to soccer practices. Ouch. We are an overstimulated society with a smorgasbord of entertainments that are competing for our affections and robbing us of our commitments to Christ and rhythms of life. You feel that? We just went through a series on rhythms of life. You see the tension? In fact, we stopped this series and many of you have stopped your rhythms. And you've picked up the old habits of pleasure. Am I right? I mean, I'm just, can we be honest in this house? Like we're supposed to be disciples of Christ. Hear me out. Are you ready? The problem is not our consumption of entertainment, but it's consumption of us. And that pleasure pump that keeps inflating self as you continue to feed and feed, feed on entertainment. I want to I I be careful. I'm not saying that these pleasures aren't good. I'm saying is that when good things become God things, it's when they turn into substitute saviors. Right? So I'm saying take your kids out of soccer. Right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't enjoy a, a, a nice show. Uh, don't enjoy and anticipate a season premiere. Right? I, I, I hear my heart. So I'm saying is it's okay to consume, but when you are consumed... You might be asking me a question, well, how do I know I'm consumed? Well, you do all these things, but your commitment to Christ and the rhythms of life 
are on the shelves. It's funny, right? Funny how, I want you to see this. Uh, uh, it's funny how um, we'll, we'll go to the basketball game, right? But then we'll put the Bible on the shelf. That's what I'm talking about. You see that? Like this needs to be on the shelf, right? Not, not your word. Not your word. But you, you know something's become an idol when, when, when these things, the rhythms of life, are on the shelves. Okay, some of you like get off of get off of entertainment. You got me. You got me. You got me. Okay. Number two. Ready? Number two. He pursued wine. You see that in the text? He pursued wine. So we got a nice little wine. And I just learned today that, oh, it's full. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I'm all might as well. Now I just learned. The, you know, I, I wanted a wine glass. They're like, oh, is it, do you want with a stem or without? I'm like, oh, there, that's a thing. I said, well, with a stem, please. I mean, right? With a stem. We're told that he pursued wine. But note, note the reason. Did you see that? You see it in the text? What did he say? He said, I pursued wine because I was looking for something to cheer my body. Wow. See that? Yeah. Now, this might be controversial, but I'm not even saying that wine is the thing that is the God. I'm not saying wine is the thing that's it's the, it's when it consumes you. Y'all see that? He says, I searched my heart to cheer my body with wine. So number one, we had the pleasures of entertainment. Number two is the pleasures of intoxication. Anybody here with me? Mind altering. Mood changing, intoxication. Are you sad? Pour a drink. Are you angry? Pour a drink. Are you nervous? Pour a drink. Are you shy? Pour a drink. Are you angry and upset? Pour a drink. Are you anxious? Pour a drink. Are you lonely? Pour a drink. Are you celebrating? Pour a drink. Y'all see that? Yeah. Sounds like a song. Probably is a song. It's probably in one of your, your rotations right now. I want you to see it. Whether it's wine, tequila, liquor, marijuana or any so-called recreational drug? You with me? Yeah. I want you to notice the salvific qualities. You're like, that's not a God, that's a bottle of wine. No, we, 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 this is a substitute savior because you depend on it to cheer you. You depend on it to bring you out. You depend on it, you run to it, you look to it. You're controlled by it. It's a savior. Right? Notice the salvific qualities of intoxication. What does it do? It numbs the pain. No? Does it? Does it numb the pain? Does it calm the nerves? Does it ease the tensions? Does it lighten the mood? Does it give you a little courage? And for some, you've become so dependent on this 
that it's very rare you could even enjoy yourself. You can't go out. It's very rare you've enjoyed a weekend sober. You've turned grapes into gods. Right? And instead of you consuming it, it now what? Consumes you. Be honest. But can we be fair? Right? All the drinkers in the house are all, please be fair. Here's a good one. I got a little McDonald's bag for y'all. Yeah? There's not in here, though. <laughs> this one's full. <laughs> somebody, somebody made sure this one was empty. <laughs> Let's be fair. Can we be fair? Y'all want to be fair? Let's not just call out over drinking. What about overeating? What about overeating? Come on, all you legalistic in the house, tell them, tell them about drunkenness. Let's talk about overeating. No, we don't talk about that at church. In fact, at church, we celebrate it, don't we? Yeah. I think that overeating is probably one of the, if not the most celebrated sin in the church. No? <laughs> you guys want to be fair, right? You see what some search for in wine, others look for in food. Paul says their gods are their bellies. Gluttony. And it's sad because while half of the world starves, God can't be pleased. No? This is whether it's drugs Alcohol or food. I've even heard people justify. You guys have heard this, right? Well, God created it. Come on, y'all know that one. God created the vine. Come on, marijuana smokers, right? God created the seed, right? Every tree. I don't even know where this goes. I'll put it back here because I'll probably use it again. Every tree, every seed. Y'all heard that before? No, am I the only one? You know the wild justifications we give. God created the vine and the plants and the seed. But remember, remember, idolatry is when we look to the creation for what only the creator can provide. See that? Idolatry is when we look to the creation for what only the creator can provide. And remember what idolatry is. Idolatry is whatever you're willing to sin, to get, or to keep. Now, for some of you, wine tasting, fine dining, sophisticates in the house, that's not your style, right? I don't get sloppy drunk. That's not me. Yeah? Yeah, right, right? It's not my style. Like you've turned your nose up at such debauchery, right? <laughs> you frown on drunkenness, though you are red-faced, though, right? You are red-faced. Let's be honest. Like, are you drunk? No, I'm not drunk. You red, right? Just all plush. You frown on drunkenness and take pride in the exquisite taste of wine. Mmm, so good. You frown on gluttons but take pride in your gourmet palates. You may not overeat, but you overspend <laughs> to eat. 
You're what's called an Epicurean. An Epicurean or a refined hedonist. You may think you're different, but you are equally devoted to your creature comforts by seeking after pleasures. Or what I would add, your sophisticated appetite. So appetite is another. You have entertainment, you have intoxication, and you have appetite. I'm going to move this out the way. How you doing? You guys okay? Gospel is coming, I promise. And, you know, it's funny because, like, you know, you know, grandmama, maybe great-great-grandmama's little statues, right? You you remember how you you put those statues up and you offer little fruits, little drinks to these shrines, to the cultural gods? No? Nobody's seen that before? But we literally present to ourselves overconsumption. Y'all see that? And so whereas they present little fruits and little drinks to the shrine of their cultural gods, we present food and drink to the shrine of the God of ourselves. You with me? Again, remember, with every pleasure, there's that pump to self. Number three, you see the word folly? The scripture said he engaged in folly. Now, there's not... There's not a lot to tell us what that meant, but basically he acted a fool, right? He acted a fool. Like there's pleasure seeking in foolish living, isn't it? No? Now we're not told what Solomon did, but y'all know what I mean by like risk taking, law breaking, freeway racing. No, not in this room. Fighting, setting fires. I don't know. I don't know what your thing is. When I was thinking about this, I was just thinking about, you know. Um, oh, anyway, I don't want to go there. But basically, it's foolishness for the adrenaline rush. Also reminds me of, like, the sideshows. Now, I want to I lump these next three together, okay? So, so far, we have entertainment, intoxication. We have appetite, foolish living. You see those? Okay, I want to lump in kind of the next three together. It's, it's the pleasure of achievement, creativity, and influence. We're just going to put them all together. How are we doing? Uh, let's, I want to touch on the pleasure of influence just really briefly. The scripture says he had slaves. Okay? I, I mean, essentially, in some ways, Solomon, you know, he, he, he was his own boss, right? He was his own boss. Like, he enjoyed not being told anything, telling others what to do. Yeah? He was his own boss, right? He, he had those who were working under him, right? We climb the corporate ladder. Like we, you know, our goal or I, I, our idea of success is to enjoy the pleasure of rising to the top. There are people under us, right? And so there's, there's the pleasure of influence. But also we're, we're told the pleasure of achievement and creativity. We're told that he built great what? Great works. You see that in the text? Were you amazed by his works? I was. I mean, Solomon tried to give life meaning through building, improving, and expanding. Did you see that? He sought pleasures through the upgrade. He sought to be pleasured through the bigger and the better. Familiar? Anybody? Are you ready? I'll be happier if we move to a bigger house, honey. No, no. 
Or, or, or maybe you like your house, but if you could only remodel that kitchen. <laughs> you see that? Solomon sought pleasure off of building, improving. No? No, are you, I mean, again, you're not a billionaire. You're not someone that, how's that, how's that apply to me? But it's still in your heart, yeah. right? I want a big house. If I get, that's when I, look, it's not wrong to have a big house. It's when your happiness is in a big house. And in the little house, there's no happiness. Maybe you love your house. It's in the remodeled kitchen. It's the improvements of living conditions. That'll make me better. You see this salvific? There's a promise. Every idol promises heaven and warns against the hell. See that? Or, you know, if I could just extend the house. Or how about my backyard? That's a thing now. I fall into this all the time. I don't even have a backyard. It's like this big. But I dream one day when I have a house... Man, my backyard, we'll put lights up, put the fire. I love that. I want that. And it's not even a bad thing, but do you, do you hear what I'm going with? Like, I, I extend my backyard. I want to turn it into my own private oasis. In many ways, we are just like Solomon, except Solomon actually can afford it. <laughs> Solomon can actually afford it. We still do it, but Solomon could afford it. I mean, did you see his house? Parks and pools. <laughs> I can imagine Solomon's place looking like Neverland Ranch. Yeah. Neverland Ranch, Michael Jackson, for those of you who don't know. And just like Neverland, Solomon discovered that you can have a full backyard. And an empty heart. Have you ever experienced the gaining of something and then the, once you gained it, the heart was still empty? You thought that was going to be it. And then you got it and it's still not it. You can have a full backyard. And an empty heart. You want to know something fascinating? I have to go fast. Did you notice the gardens in the text? The vineyards? Like my guy didn't have to go to Napa. He was Napa. He was Napa, right? The fruit trees, do you see that? The green forest. He even created his own rivers, reservoirs in the backyard to water his oasis. Hear me out. When pleasure is your idol... You attempt to turn the world into Eden. You attempt to turn your world into its own garden of delights. You see that? Solomon was attempting to create his own garden of pleasure. And thus be like God in his creativity. Why? Well, when we live for this world... We'll sacrifice whatever we can to make it our heaven. I understand why you need to make this world everything. Because you have no grasp of the eternity Christ has brought. I understand. 
I understand why this world, you need to accomplish all you can in this world, right? And we talk about this with some Christians. And I remember being kind of a young Christian. I was having a conversation today. You know, like there's so many things I want to do before I die, right? I want to do all these things or Jesus don't come back. Am I the only one born, any born and raised kids or brats? You know, some of you born and raised in church, you're not a brat. But some of us born and raised, right? Like, God, don't come back. I got to do this first. I got to accomplish this first. I got to get married. I got to have kids. I got. You know why you do that is because your earth is your heaven. Right? You're not trusting that Jesus has an eternity of pleasure for you. Now what we do, right? And so when, think about it. Now, we may confess him as Savior, but functionally, we're still turning our little worlds into gardens of Edens. Got to move on. Got to move on fast. Number five, he had possessions and treasures. Y'all see that? Possessions and wealth. He enjoyed vacation homes. Amen? Rental properties. His savings was strong, stock options large, retirement was set, investments were diversified. The equity in his house, man, was through the roof. Solomon was the definition of winning. The scriptures described him as surpassing all who had come before him in Jerusalem. Are you with me? Are you with me? So we have the pleasures of entertainment, intoxication, appetites, foolish living, achievement, creativity, and influence, possessions, and wealth. Number six. Uh, uh, and, and it's funny. Uh, I want to add something to this text, okay? It's not in here. Like Pastor Phil, you're going outside of the scripture. But just let me add something to this text. Because Solomon did say, anything my eyes saw, anything my heart wanted, I didn't keep from me. So this isn't an exhaustive list. So can I add something? There is a kind of passive pursuit of pleasure. Did you know that? That is more like a life of ease. And an avoidance of pain. Didn't I tell you what hedonism is? It's not just a pursuit of pleasure, but it's also avoidance of what? Pain. And so there might be someone in this room who says, well, I don't, I don't resonate with any of this. Are you with me? Because your goal in life is not to pursue pleasure, but to avoid pain. As a result, you, uh, the, someone who may be, have a, an idol of pleasure could be what? They could lack ambition. They don't have Solomon's ambition. That's not me. Why? Because you're pursuing a life of ease. They're not motivated by achievement, possession, success, wealth. Go get your degrees. Have a great time. Knock yourself out. Why? Why? You're not interested. Why? Because you're interested in finding shortcuts and taking the paths of least resistance. You see that? Yeah, you might even label yourself as lazy or complacent. I know this well. You might be saying, man, why does he know this? So why deal with this? You might even label yourself as lazy or complacent. But your idolatry of pleasure has revealed itself in the passive pursuit of comfort that manages to avoid exertion, failure, pain. And so, you know, you don't want that garden oasis. It doesn't mean you don't have an idolatry of pleasure. It might be that you have a idolatry of pleasure that has revealed itself in the lack of pursuing anything. You with me? Yeah. Even in passive, in its passive form, pleasure seeking is still a magnifying of self and a demagnifying or a minimizing of God. Yeah. Finally, for Solomon, it was the pleasure of sex. Some of you thought, man, I thought that was going to be your first one. 
right? We think about pleasure. We have a real narrow understanding of pleasure. And so hopefully I've been able to kind of help put up some pleasures that are out there. But finally, we have the pleasures of sex. In many ways, what's really interesting about sex, sex can be a physical representation of what's going inside of you spiritually. Can I explain that? Watch, watch. As we inflate ourselves with pleasures and we minimize God, a byproduct of that is objectifying people. You see that? Are you with me? I'm going to say that again. In many ways, sex, the way we treat sex, can be a representation. It's physically what's going on internally. Are you ready? As we inflate self and we minimize God, a byproduct is that we objectify what? Others. That's what happens. That's the product of being a selfish person. You don't honor the personhood, amen, of others. Let me explain. Sex outside of God's design becomes a sacrament of idolatry, a sacrament. It's worship. We're told in another place in Scripture that Solomon had 300 wives, 700 concubines. Now, again, it's not all for sex. There were treaties and allies, but nonetheless, Solomon had it. And so we move from the emptiness of Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch to the demonic deviancy of Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion. Are you with me? And some of you men in here and women in here, that's what you idolize. Then Netflix does a documentary. Hedonism at its pinnacle. Listen, whether it's the activity of sex or the fantasy of sex, porn, pornography. No doubt there are men in this room, even women in this room right now. When I say that, that's their shame on it because you're in it, addicted to it. Or or, or maybe it's just the debased imagination, right? Just walking through the park, the mall, whatever, and the eyes. In in seeking to satisfy ourselves, we use others as instruments of sexual pleasure. See that? See that? Thus, we deny their personhood. We diminish God's image in them. And we use them for the sake of our own gratification. And our culture is so upside down and so convoluted because in one way we will rightfully rally around those who have been hurt and harmed and used and objectified but right in the next way our culture will celebrate rape culture in your music softcore porn of netflix and we try to say well the difference is what they wanted and they didn't we're creating monsters of consumption here's what we're doing we're pumping the ego the self And as the self increases, God decreases, and the byproduct of it is that people become objectified. We have some real culture warriors in here, but you you don't use the text. Just listen to your celebrities and to those tweets on Twitter and cool captions and watch documentaries. And those are all great and good, and it's a fad, but you don't, you're not in the text. You with me? 
here's what I want to do. I want to take it one step further. The most dangerous thing about indulging in pleasure is that the more pleasure we consume, the more captive we become to a gratified self. How then can anyone escape the stronghold of idolatry of pleasure? <laughs> How? How could anyone escape this strong idolatry? Are you ready? Only by the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ can we smash the idol of pleasure. Only by knowing the surpassing worth of Christ. Only by truly understanding the surpassing worth of Christ can you smash the idolatry of pleasure. I want to offer you three, three things and then we're finishing. How? How do I do that? How, how, practically, how do I engage in knowing the surpassing worth of Christ so that my idol of pleasure can be destroyed? Are you with me? Three things. Ready? Number one, look at the cross. Look at the cross. See Christ's suffering. Y'all hear that? See Christ's suffering. See Christ, the man who walked this world not for pleasure, but to suffer. See his suffering. See his nails, the nails in his hands and his feet. See him on that cross, uncomfortable, suffering for you. Look at the cross. Look at the brutal punishment of humanity made visible by the punishment of Christ on the cross. See the cross. And then number two, are you ready? Crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. Understand that Christ's cross, that Christ's suffering was not meant to spare you from suffering. Y'all go to some churches that tell you that though, right? I even know some theology out there that will say, by his stripes we are healed. And they will preach that as if God wants to heal everybody. Some of you are like, wait, I believe that. Well, let me get your theology correct. I want you to know Christ's suffering was not to spare you from suffering but to inspire you to suffer with him. Y'all never heard of a Christianity like that. You, the Christianity, he, he, said, he says, all those who want to follow me will just pick up their what? Their cross. Crucify the flesh and its desires. In fact, he, Paul will say in another place that like an athlete, we beat our bodies into submission. We work out, we pull, we strain. We suffer. Christianity was not meant to spare you from suffering. It was meant to inspire you to look at Christ's suffering and then suffer with him. Look at the cross. Crucify your flesh. How do we suffer? Are you ready? Number one, develop the fruit of self-control and starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. Develop, allow the spirit to develop the fruit of self-control. Starve the flesh. Start saying no to your idols. I don't have the power to be empowered by the spirit 
You'll, you'll fall. You'll stumble. You won't be perfect, but begin to say no to what you always say yes to. Empowered by the cross, motivated by the love of Jesus. Praying, Lord, come and remove these things from me. And he says, well, I may not remove them, but pray that I would have endurance in them. That I could say, no, God, because on my own accord I can't. Look at the cross, crucify your flesh, develop the fruit of suffering. What's another way to suffer? Number two, stop running from pain. And embrace it. Embrace pain as a gift. Suffering sanctifies. You know that? You know that if God were to remove suffering, you wouldn't be formed into the image of Jesus. And so instead of praying for God to remove it, pray God through it, form me. Some of you in here, you're so addicted to pleasure that any sign of suffering, you run from it. That's why you go to the bottle. Number one, look at the cross. Number two, crucify your flesh. Finally, number three, practice rhythms of life. As you learn to say no to the flesh, say yes to those graces, those graces that the Spirit has given us that provides us to renew our mind and transform our life. The graces of prayer, the graces of fasting, the graces of reading the scriptures, the graces of community, Sabbath rest, hospitality, the graces that the Spirit has given us. Finally, I'm gonna read the words of Apostle Paul and then we're gonna end in worship. This is what he says in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Scripture says this. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see that? Paul had a lot of gains. I want you to know, uh, Solomon had gains. Paul, before writing this, lists a resume of things that he had gained. He says, but whatever I gained, what? I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the, what? Surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered. Isn't that the opposite of pleasure? I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. You know, Paul didn't mean trash. He meant dung. You can think of a four-letter word that might go there. He says, all my accomplishments, I considered it dung, garbage, trash. In order that I may what? Gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Are you ready for it? And may what? Share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen, in light of the eternal glory of Jesus, I will gladly suffer the temporary loss of pleasure. Hear that? Let that be the motto of somebody who wants to slay the idolatry of pleasure. In light of the eternal glory of Jesus, I will gladly suffer the loss of temporary pleasure. Amen? 
in light of the eternal glory of Jesus, I will gladly suffer the loss of pleasure. I recognize that this series, sermon series is overwhelming um, because it's just kind of like when you read the scriptures, you just realize, man, I, I, what do we do? You know, like I'm, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, right? Like guilty is charged, right? Um, but I think that's, that's the first step of the gospel, right? There's, there's got to be this repent. There's got to be this, uh, not a denial, but this awareness of your sin, right? Just how deeply we've offended the holiness of God, that you're further away than you ever thought. In fact, the gospel will teach us that when you start to realize that, you're actually maturing in Christ. When you start realizing your sin is further than you thought, it's actually a sign of maturity. Uh, I, because what it does is set you up for the affections of what Christ has done. Like, I can't do anything. I can't save myself. It's impossible. I deserve damnation. Hell, I've offended the holiness of God. But the beauty of Christ and his suffering and his death, uh, a man of sorrows, rejected, yet crucified uh, on our behalf. And in that crucifixion, he takes your idolatry, your sin, which are many. Right? And he puts it upon himself and the father punishes him as if he were you, though he knew no sin. And then he, he gives to you his perfect record of righteousness. Never a day in which he submitted to any idols. Never a day in which he bowed his knee to Satan, knees to Satan. In fact, he rebuked Peter. When Peter tried to tell him the way of glory is through pleasure, he says, no, get behind me, Satan. I, I must suffer. What a beautiful Savior. And the only way that that exchange can be made is if you put your faith in him. Amen? And so how devastating our sin, but how beautiful the work of Christ on the cross. And so then from that place we worship, from that place we lay down our idols, from that place we pick up rhythms of life. And so Heavenly Father, I just thank you for all that are in this room and heard this word today. Lord, I don't pray that we would leave in discouragement. I pray that we would leave in joy knowing that in Christ, if we believe, if we put our faith and our trust and our hope in his work, then we can leave out of here convicted yet empowered by the spirit to lay our idols down. That's what I pray. I pray that we would leave here not condemned, but convicted. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, that feels far from God. I pray that they would look to the cross and they would find sanctuary they would find rest they would find safety in hiding under the cross of Christ may we run to you and not to our addictions may we run to you and not our pleasures may we run to you and not our entertainments our intoxications our appetites may you be the glorious aim of our life even if it means suffering that we would suffer with you so Lord we bless you we thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you. Enjoy your Sunday, and we'll see you next week.